Amen. That was a great song. For those that are new, uh, my name is Pastor Jeff. I'm the youth pastor here. And if you're looking at me thinking, you're kind of old to be a youth pastor, you'd be right. Uh, Through the years in youth ministry, uh, as I get to know students, they would say, you know, Jeff, you're like a second dad to me. Now they say you're like a second grandpa. And so... So uh, a couple weeks ago, I was at my house in the kitchen, and I was getting a plate out of the cupboard because I wanted to get something to eat, and I noticed about 80% of the glassware was gone, and I started looking around, didn't see them in the dirty dishes, they weren't in the dishwasher, they weren't on the dining table. Started looking closer, and I noticed about half the plates, half the bowls were gone, opened the silverware drawer, about a third of the silverware is gone. I'm like, what's going on? Where's all my silverware? Where are all my dishes going? The next day, my son packs up for college and cleans his room, and voila, my kitchen was restocked. And uh, it was like I had a special delivery from Amazon. I was really excited. I was so excited, I started talking to the glass where I was like, hey, it's good to see you back from vacation. I got worried when they started talking back to me. They said, vacation, have you been in your son's room? The CDC won't go in there. I said, that's a fair point. You're asking, what's this got to do with today's message? Nothing. I just thought it'd be fun to share. It's good to get to know each other. So we started a series a couple weeks ago, Pastor Damon did, called Blessed. We're talking about the Beatitudes. I don't know if you've read the Beatitudes recently. They're in Matthew chapter 5. I would encourage you to read them today if you haven't. Uh, but when I read the Beatitudes, it feels like Jesus left some out. Now, I know it's not a good start when you're trying to give God, like, pointers. You know, the creator of the universe and little old Jeff here is like, Jesus, I think he left some things out. But I think he left some out. And here are the four specifically that I think he left out. I think the, the first one left out was, blessed are the wealthy, for they will acquire stuff. I think he left out this one. Blessed are the good-looking, for they will be attractive. Blessed are the famous, for they will have lots of followers. Blessed are the powerful, for they will be in control. I mean, when you think about what our world tells us, you're supposed to have those things. You're supposed to have wealth and looks and fame and power. And if you can have one of those four things, they consider you blessed. If you have more than one of those things, you're really blessed. That's what we see in TV and movies and music an advertisement that you've got to have these four Beatitudes. But if you read the Beatitudes that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 5, he doesn't come close to any of these. He doesn't mention the four at all. And I'm wondering why. Because those Beatitudes are the Beatitudes of the world. That's what the world says you have to have to be blessed. But time and again, we see people on TV who have wealth and looks and fame and power, and there's some tragic story about them. They're being arrested. They're going through a nasty divorce. There's a a drug overdose. There's some calamity going on in their lives. And we kind of wonder, how can you be this blessed and have all these things in life, and yet your life is so messed up? Because those four things, wealth and looks and fame and power, they're temporary. They don't really satisfy the soul. And why we know that in our hearts, our brains are still trying to chase after these things. It was so interesting. Jesus doesn't talk about those four things because they are temporary and he's focused on the eternal. And it's hard for me to grasp the eternal. You, you know, human beings only live about 75 years and eternity is forever. So, so how, do, how do I compare those things? It's really tough for me. And I, I try with an illustration. I don't know if it, it works, but I was thinking about school. And school is normally nine months long, 36 weeks. And imagine if your son or your daughter, your grandson or your granddaughter said, you know, in the first week at school, I have to obtain wealth and fame and looks and power. He'd probably say, those are the wrong things to try to attain at school anyway. That, that's not what school's about. 
But why are you trying to do all this work in the first week? School is, is 36 weeks long. I mean, there's, there's a long way to go. And yet, that's what we do as human beings. Here on earth, over the next 75 years, we try to attain these four things. Acting as if we don't live forever. But when God created you and me, he gave us a spirit that lasts forever. And so Jesus tells us, don't focus on the temporary. Focus on the eternal. And the beatitudes that he talks about are on the eternal. And so Jesus points us to a better way. The Beatitudes, when you first read them, come across as counterintuitive. It's like these things shouldn't work, but Jesus says they will, so I need to trust them. And one of the most confusing ones is the third one, the third Beatitude, which says this. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. When you hear meek, you might think weak. How could the weak possibly inherit the earth? Inheritance has to do with wealth being passed on. Did you know that the 26 richest billionaires own as many assets as 3.8 billion of the poorest people on planet Earth? 26 people are as wealthy as half of the Earth's population. Doesn't Jesus mean that the children of the 26 wealthiest people on planet Earth will inherit the Earth? How could the meek inherit the Earth? Because meek doesn't mean weak. Here's what it means. Meekness is strength under control. It has nothing to do with financial wealth, but the ability to show restraint, to use your power in a wise way. I'm sure you've seen a YouTube video of a big dog and a little bitty baby on the couch, and they're sitting there. How many of you are dog owners? Any cat owners in here? We'll be praying for you, all right? We're going to ask Jesus to make you dog owners. Just be honest. Dogs are man's best friend, and cats aren't. That's how it goes. But there's the big dog, and there's a little bitty baby. And the dog is just so gentle with the baby. Gently takes his paw, the face, or the belly of the baby, and the baby's laughing. Now, we all know that the dog could hurt the baby, but the dog doesn't because the dog is showing meekness. He's showing strength under control. Meekness exemplifies everything that Jesus was and is. Just before he was let off to be crucified, he could have called down legion of angels. He could have commanded the angels to lay waste to the Roman soldiers, the religious leaders, and anyone else who stood in his way. It would have been a great action scene in a movie. But he doesn't. Because eternal victory far outweighs temporary glory. And so he displays meekness, strength under control, and in doing so, secures eternal life for all those who choose to follow him. And so he calls us to live our lives filled with meekness. It doesn't happen overnight. It takes work. It takes effort coupled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And so with the help of the Holy Spirit, let's embark on an exercise program to build meekness in our lives. And here's what it's called. Five exercises to make your meek muscles grow. How many of you like exercising? Four hands go up. That's about right. So next month I turn 50. And uh, when I was a kid, I would bound out of bed. I'm ready to face the day. At almost 50, you know, you don't bound out of bed. You wake up and you've got to tell your body, let's roll. And so I roll out of bed, and at 50, almost 50, I'm starting to do these stretches. It's good to stretch. And so you know the stretch where you, you sit down and you reach out towards your toes? That stretch, you've probably all done that. Remember in second grade, PE class, you're doing stretches before or whatever, and all the kids could just grab their, their toes and kind of lift their, their toes off the ground because they were so stretchy? So I, I sat down thinking, I'm going to do that again, right? I got my hands to my knees, and I was like, Jesus, come quickly. 
because my hammies were just in pain. I, I couldn't go very far. It's no fun to stretch. It's no fun to exercise at times, but, but it's good for us. And so as we get into uh, these exercises today, it's going to be tough at first, but as you put them into practice in your life, you'll see how God will help you to have meekness, strength, under control. And so the first exercise deals with those that serve us. When someone serves you, be understanding, not demanding. Now I'm going to date myself here. How many of you remember the Archie Bunker show? Oh yeah. Archie Bunker could not be on TV today. Let's just be honest. He was politically incorrect all the time, everywhere. And Archie Bunker was the stereotype guy. He'd come from a day at work and he'd sit in his chair and he wanted his wife Edith to get him his beer. And Edith was this very gentle, compliant wife until Archie would cross her once in a while, then Edith would let loose on him. I always loved when she did that. But Archie was demanding, not understanding. He expected these things, not just from his wife, just basically the people around him. And so he was so demanding. But God doesn't want us to be demanding. He wants us to be understanding. He wants us to show meekness, strength under control. So let me ask you, how do you treat the server, the waiter or waitress? The individual who bags your groceries, those who clean hotel rooms, or multiple other roles in our society. Do you overlook them, or do you have the mind of Christ? Here's what it says in Philippians 2, 4, and 5. Let each of you look not only to their own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. The Son of God came not to be served, but to serve others. As you read the Gospels, you will constantly find him among the downtrodden of life. The religious leaders treated those people with demands. Do this, don't do that. But Jesus wasn't demanding, he was understanding. And they loved him for it. You know, this summer, my son Jason was working at Domino's to make some extra money. So he'd come home at night, and of course he had some tip money. I'd say, How, how'd it go? And he'd say, well, you know, some places they would give me tips, other places they wouldn't. And he says, Dad, I'm, I'm, I'm always nice to the customer, I'm always polite. But sometimes it's really tough when, when you make a delivery and they don't tip. It's kind of frustrating. And maybe you've heard the stories at times and some waiters and waitresses at certain restaurants when the Sunday church crowd would, would go to that restaurant and the waiters or waitresses weren't looking forward to the Sunday church crowd because all the church people would file in and eat their food and leave pitiful tips and would come across as demanding instead of understanding. That's not what we're called to be. We're called to be just the opposite. Understanding of those that serve us. The next exercise is this. When someone disappoints you, be gentle, not judgmental. How many of you have children? Children? You have children? Have your children ever gotten on your nerves? No. Three people raised their hand. You liars. <laughs> so I have, I have three children, James, Jason, and Julia. Well, two of them are adult kids now, and my daughter Julia, she's in middle school. But over the years, at times, my kids would, would do something wrong. And, you know, as the adult, we're supposed to be the bigger person, the more mature person, but sometimes that's tough. And when my kids would make me angry, or I'd allow myself to get angry, probably a better way to put it, I growl. You're like, what do you mean? I'd be like, grrr. That's just what I do. Maybe for you, you let colorful words come out of your mouth. I don't know. But it's not really good for a minister to use that kind of language. So instead of bleep, 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 I was grrr, 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 grrr. And uh, my wife, she was so great. She'd be like, no, Jeff, you got to understand and I get frustrated with my wife. I was like, I don't want you to understand the kid's point of view. Join me in growling at them. Let's gird together. But she wouldn't. 
She's like, you got, you got to understand. You got to understand where they're coming from. See, I, I wanted to be uh, judgmental, and she came across as gentle. Here's what the Apostle Paul writes in, in Romans 14.1. As for the one who's weak in faith, welcome them, but not to quarrel over opinions. Paul concludes chapter 13 talking about the power of loving one another and operating out of love. He begins chapter 14 talking about those who are weak in their faith and how those who are mature in their faith should be patient with those who are weak. I was supposed to be the mature one, but I wasn't. You know, we all struggle, we all sin, we all fail, and how do we respond to others when they disappoint? Here's what the scripture says in Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and also fulfill the law of Christ. We're to bear one another's burdens. We are to lift up and not tear down. If correction is needed, it needs to be done in gentleness, looking to restore the other person. At times, though, it's not about correction, but an honest disagreement on something. You remember the good old days when you could agree to disagree and walk away friends? You could disagree without being disagreeable. It seems we've lost our connection to civility and meekness, strength under control. For some of you, the third exercise might be the hardest when someone disagrees with you, be tender without surrender. Now I'm going to step on some toes here, so just get ready to have your toes, your toes stepped on. One of the areas I see a struggle, especially for followers of Christ, to be tender without surrender seems to be on Facebook. You've probably noticed. And, and I see posts on Facebook, and, and there'll be one Christian that I know, another Christian that I know, and they begin to argue and they're never arguing over something spiritual like, is water baptism full immersion or is it sprinkling? That, that, no one argues over that one. It's always something with, with politics or social issues. And we've got a lot of politics and social issues going on in our country. I'm not saying we don't have those things. And I understand, it's like, I, I just want to post on Facebook. And, but what starts as a, a civil post normally breaks down back and forth. It's like, well, Jeff, I have a right to post on Facebook. Of course you have the right. I'm not talking about your freedom. I'm talking about wisdom. I'm not talking about your freedom. I'm talking about wisdom. I want you to ask yourself this question next time before you post. Does your post help your witness for Jesus or hurt your witness for Jesus? If I were to ask what other people think of your post, I said, hey, did you know that this person's a follower of Jesus? Would you be more inclined to follow Jesus reading their post? What would their answer be? I'm not against speaking out against social issues or politics, but Jesus Christ comes first. If we're going to say he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords, we just don't get to say it at church. We have to live it out in our lives on a daily basis. And that means what happens in our social media post. And I know, you're like, I, I tried to be civil with some people, and they just take, go down the wrong road. You can't control everyone else. But you can control yourself. You can be tender without surrender so how should we respond proverbs 15 1 tells us this a soft answer turns away wrath but a harsh word stirs up anger there's a pause here for a moment for some of you you need to learn a soft answer a soft answer are you looking to get them or grow them it's a question i like to ask people on uh, when they're on facebook are you looking to get them or grow them 
Because if you're looking to get them, you're not going to give a soft answer. If you're looking to grow people, then you might send them a private message. Say, hey, can we get together and talk? So it doesn't have to be out in public, so we can work through these issues. I think in a moment of clarity, we would want to say, we want to help others grow. You can be tender without surrender. You can state what you value and what matters without being a jerk or pushing people away. And two things happen when you respond this way. One, you gain respect. Even if they disagree with your position, they know where you stand. But two, you gain future conversations. They know they can talk about difficult topics and you will still love them and respect them. Being tender without surrender is operating in wisdom. Here's what the book of James tells us about wisdom. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. I would submit to you that we live in a world that doesn't seem full of wisdom. And so look what the world's doing, look what it's become. Maybe that's what the world's doing, but that's not what you're called to do. You're called to a higher standard, you're called to follow Jesus Christ, you're called to this kind of wisdom. Wisdom from above changes lives. It builds relationships. It restores broken relationships and leads to a better life. This wisdom operates in meekness, which is strength under control. And you know you're growing in meekness when you can do this fourth exercise well. And here's what it is. When someone corrects you, be teachable, not unreachable. Just a quick question. How many of you, being honest, you think you're teachable? Okay, that's good. If you look at the life of the Apostle Peter, if you read the Gospels, this guy had a lot of mistakes. Jesus was talking about being crucified, and Peter said it's not going to happen, and Jesus turns to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. It can't be good when Jesus, the Lord and Savior, calls you Satan. That's what he said to Peter. Peter's in the boat, and he steps out, takes a step of faith. I wouldn't even gotten out of the boat, but he gets out of the boat, he starts to walk on water, but then he becomes afraid and he sinks in the water. There's a time when they come to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he takes out a sword and he cuts off the ear of the servant. Jesus heals the servant's ear and says, what, do I have a rebellion going on here? And then finally when they take Jesus away, there's Peter warming himself around a fire, and there's a servant girl, I don't know, 12, 13 years old, and she says to this grown man, hey, I've seen you with Jesus, and he denies it. I don't know who Jesus is. No, no, I know I've seen you with Jesus. Three different times he denies Jesus to the point where he's cursing. It's like, I don't know this guy. And then the rooster crows. And he walks away in, in bitterness at his own actions. Time and again, Peter failed. And based on those failures, if he wasn't teachable, he would just been like, you know what? I'm done. I'm out. In fact, after Jesus dies and is resurrected, Peter goes back to fishing because he's probably thinking to himself after I've denied Jesus three times there's no way this guy's gonna let me serve him again and Jesus meets Peter on the shores and says will you feed my sheep and Peter says of course I'll feed your sheep he asked him do you love me yes I love you and feed my sheep three different times he asked that and three different times Peter says I love you and I will feed your sheep and Jesus launches Peter into one of the greatest ministries because he was teachable, not unreachable. After every defeat and disappointment, Peter 
still returns. He keeps his eyes on Jesus and doesn't let anger overtake him. Here's what it says in James 1.19. Know this, my beloved brothers and sisters, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Being teachable is less about the teacher and more about your attitude. Now, don't get me wrong, I love teachers. I'm married to a teacher. But it's more about your attitude. How many of you have heard of this, the self-motivational speaker, Tony Robbins? Remember Tony Robbins? He's been around for like three decades, super successful. To go to his conferences are like thousands of dollars. I've never been to one, but I was watching one of his videos. And this guy, he stands 6'7". And he's a good-looking guy, 6'7". He walks on the stage. There's thousands of people there. And he just, he, charisma is oozing from his pores. I mean, everybody's just there. And they're on the edge of their seats, and they're taking notes for that two- or three-day conference to hear everything that Tony Robbins has to say. And think, man, I'm going to apply this to my life because Tony Robbins said it. The problem is, then they go back and they live the rest of their lives with their family and friends and coworkers and churchgoers. And it's not that God can't use Tony Robbins to speak into someone's life, but many times God will use the people right around you to speak into your life. He will use your spouse. He will use your children. He will use your parents. He will use the cranky next door neighbor to speak into your life. It's like, how? The cranky next door neighbor says something to you that you know is true, but you don't want to listen to it because he's the cranky next door neighbor. But if Tony Robbins showed up on your doorstep and said the exact same thing, you'd be like, oh, thank you, Tony. I'll apply that to my life. Are you willing to be teachable around the people you see the most? See, a lot of you raise your hands. I've got a teachable spirit. Are you teachable when your spouse has one of those come-to-Jesus moments with you? Because many times we're like, oh no, you did not just go there. Are you teachable when your children say a truth to you and you know they're speaking some truth to you? Do you take it in? There's a lot of people around us that God wants to use. Are we willing to be teachable instead of unreachable? Those who are teachable, the Bible says, are honored. It just says in Proverbs 13, 18, Poverty and disgrace come to those who ignore instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is honored. I remember when we first started working in church, my wife and I, and we went to this really small church, and my wife started uh, teaching the adult Sunday school class. And uh, this, cla- uh, this church was an older uh, congregation. Most of the people were in their 60s and 70s. And so she stood up one day for Sunday school and said, okay, we're going to learn something new today. And one of the deacons raised his hand. And this deacon had been there for 50 years. And he had been an adult Sunday school teacher for years. And he says, I, I appreciate what you're trying to share, Gene, but there's nothing new I can learn. And I don't think he was trying to be arrogant. Honestly, I knew this guy. I just think he was like, you know, I've been around so long, and I've been teaching so many of these adult lessons. I, you know, I, there's nothing new I can learn. When you reach a place where your attitude is, there's nothing new I can learn, you become unreachable. You've moved from teachable to unreachable. And now to the final exercise, which might be the most difficult. When someone hurts you, be an actor, not a reactor. Here's what the scripture tells us on how we respond to those who hurt us. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Meekness, strength under control, isn't about revenge. It's about release. When you choose not to repay evil for evil, you're releasing bitterness from your life. You're releasing control and giving to God, and you're releasing a better way. I was thinking about Jesus hanging on the cross, unjustly accused, 
I don't know if you knew this, they, they hung him on the cross from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., so he was on the cross for six hours. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but the spikes in his wrist, the spikes through his ankles. I don't know if you knew they, they uh, put a little piece of wood on the back of the cross, and that would keep you from relaxing your back. And you'd, you'd have to take a breath, and so he'd have to push off with his ankles, spiked up, take a breath, go back down, lose his breath, keep pushing up. Immense pain. And just before he breathes his last, he says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. In the midst of all this suffering, Jesus chooses to be an actor, not a reactor. Instead of repaying evil for evil, he loves one another. And when you respond this way, when you don't repay evil for evil, when you're an actor instead of a reactor, the powerful message you send to those around you is the best strength is strength under control. Ruling your inner self is a great battle and struggle. Proverbs tells us as much. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he rules his spirit than he who takes a city. This can all be a bit overwhelming. How do we live out meekness in this world? Well, it can't be done in your own strength. 2 Timothy 1.7 says this, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. I want to close with this, and then we'll pray. Recently, I was reading a book called Speaking of Jesus. And the author of the book was a missionary to Lebanon, Beirut, Lebanon. And of course, as he got to know people in Beirut, uh, they were mostly Muslim. And he would ask them this question, so what do you think of Christianity? And from their perspective, Christianity, they were mentioned the Crusades. They felt that they were oppressive, the oppressors, the Western world trying to come over and try to you know, dominate the Middle East. And then he'd say, what do you think of Jesus? Now, Muslims don't believe that Jesus was the son of God, but they do believe he was a prophet. So they had great respect for Jesus. And so he would have long conversations looking at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where Jesus had all these stories, and he, he would talk about Jesus and the stories he, he shared, and they'd have these, these deep, meaningful conversations because he was speaking of Jesus. And if I were to ask that same question today, we might get different reactions, but I think for a lot of people, the idea of Christianity comes across as very negative, but the idea of Jesus comes across as very positive. Whatever Christianity was in the first century, what it's morphed into in the 21st century comes across as wealth, looks, fame, and power too many times. I think when people outside the church look at the church, I think that's what they're going after, those four things. Those are the Beatitudes of the world. But when they look at Jesus, they see someone who's understanding and not demanding. They see someone who's gentle and not judgmental. Someone who's tender without surrender, teachable, not unreachable, an actor, not a reactor. So as we pray and you leave church today and you go out and your friends and family and wherever you do for work, don't take Christianity to the world. Take Jesus to the world. Christianity is not attractive. Jesus is very attractive. Jesus was all about meekness, strength under control. And when you show that to those around you, you will shine a light for Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. I thank you for the Beatitudes. I thank you that you call us, call us to live a way that is eternal and not temporary. And Lord, it's a challenge. It's a challenge to try 
to live these Beatitudes out, but we know by the strength and power of your Holy Spirit that you can help us to do so. And today, help us to learn the message of meekness, strength under control. Help us to apply it to our lives and shine the light of Jesus wherever we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.